Well, welcome back. I'm not sure where you all traveled the last half hour. Maybe you were pretty much here and now. Uh, I know I traveled a bit, so I don't know. I usually take some sort of vacation or what have you during a, a sit period. Uh, yeah, so hope you're all doing well. If you care to send out a greeting to folks, I know some people I said they're coming in from California, and uh, I imagine we're coming in from a number of corners. If the sphere has any corners, uh, no. Well, all. Hi, Carol. Oh. So maybe I'll just uh, jump in. Okay, I see a couple of things. Uh, somebody from West Seattle. Hello, from West Seattle. Uh. <laughs> Thomas's mind was traveling a bit, too. Well, I wonder what that would be like. You know, you just kind of have a group like this sitting together, and you just come up with where has every where has everybody gone? I mean, what corners of the world have we gone to, and what uh, problems have we solved? And you know, I guess there's also a lot of worry on our minds, which are probably really close at hand. So, but there's quite a range. Just in just as how many people we have here? Just the 27 people. You know, my guess is that we could each look at our lives and uh, each of us are together. We could pretty much come up with uh, the full range of possibilities of what people can experience in life just from the people here and those, our networks of friends and family and those we know. Uh, so... This morning, this uh, I'm going to be talking, as I mentioned, about the three characteristics. And it's also the beginning of a three-month uh, period in which we're going to be exploring the three characteristics of existence. And I'll do a bit of an overview, an introduction. And the uh, next uh, Sundays in, uh, what month are we, April? Uh, other LDLs will be talking about other aspects of uh, three characteristics. I think we're going to be focusing on dukkha this month. At least we had an LDL meeting. That's what we said we we're going to do. Uh, I'm not sure whether that coincides with what Tim and Tuary were talking about. So there might be some. We'll have to see what emerges. So anyway, I'm going to start talking about uh, the overview. And uh, the three characteristics are really important. It's one of the main insights, key teachings of Buddhism. And uh, the three characteristics are, let's come right out front here, is impermanence, suffering or unsatisfactoriness, and not self. The Pali translation of those three are anicca, dukkha, and anatta. And like I say, I'll do an overview today, and then we'll continue on, uh, likely talking about dukkha, then impermanence, and then not-self over the next three months. 
So the three characteristics are universal, universal qualities of existence. They permeate all aspects of our lives. Something we share as humans, this regard, regardless of whether we're aware of it or not. Almost like gravity. Three characteristics may not be something we fully understand, but we can get a sense of how they operate in the world. And like gravity, we can see how important it is to have a healthy regard for them. I mean, anything about a baby learning about gravity by pushing its oatmeal off, off its high chair. You know, oh, okay, see how that works. Likewise, we can kind of explore the three characteristics. We all try to make sense of the world in one way or another. It's kind of important. We all have to do this to a certain extent just to learn how to navigate in our lives. Uh, we can do this just enough to get by and manage, or it's possible to really delve into it. Uh, delve into it like uh, you know, great philosophers and scientists have over the years. Buddha was one of those who really delved into it. And I guess most of you are aware of the life of the Buddha, starting out in a palace, living a pretty good life and luxury. Yet he ventured out, and uh, when he ventured out of the palace, he, he started running into these characteristics uh, of sickness, aging, death, people in the streets that way. And from that experience, from that experience of a certain dissatisfaction in the palace and a certain seeing of suffering in the streets, he decided to go forth, as they say, uh, and practice and dedicate his life to understanding what's going on here. And he merged with an understanding of the three characteristics of existence, and he talked a lot about it. These characteristics are not standalones, they're interrelated and are very important aspects of our life, very important perspectives in this practice. Uh, ignoring them or denying them creates problems for ourselves and others, so it's worthwhile recognizing and getting familiar with them. So understanding how the characteristics manifest in this world gives us a perspective that helps us navigate life with less clinging less frustration, less disappointment. It's a perspective that leads to less harm and suffering for both ourselves and for others. Well, here we go again, you know, more stuff about what we need to know about Buddhism, but we don't have to believe any of this. You know, this is not dogma. It's not some religious belief that we learn and then we have it. Rather, the characteristics are things to explore, to check out for ourselves with our mindfulness practice. Rather than just believing them, it's useful, helpful to just notice how these three things play out in our experience. Dukkha, impermanence, not self. To notice how the full range of suffering and dissatisfaction comes with the territory of being human. To notice how things are changing and are inherently unreliable. To begin a sense, to begin to get a sense of what is meant by non-self. If we recognize and understand these basic characteristics, 
of existence, our lives can be a lot easier than if we struggle with them and try to insist on things being different than the way they are. Gil Franz, though, uh, the teacher, meditation Dharma teacher, he said, in this tradition, as we go deeper and deeper into the meditation practice of insight, these three characteristics become increasingly important as insights. In fact, they're considered to be the insights of insight meditation practice. And people may have many insights. Some of them are unique to oneself, which are important insights. But what we're looking for here is that which is universal. That which we all share as human beings and something that we have as an understanding or perspective. A perspective and understanding that we can bring along no matter where we go, no matter uh, what the situation is. These three perspectives have value in helping us not to cling to get caught or get disappointed or frustrated. So the tradition puts a lot of emphasis on this. It's an important part of a wise living. It's an important part of the deepening of inside practice. And it's a catalyst for the experience of liberation. So a big deal. So understanding the three characteristics is not a matter of belief or Buddha Dhamma dogma. Rather, emergence from mindful observation, discernment of this mind-body process, noticing how these characteristics operate in the world. By observing the three characteristics and our responses to them, both within our, in ourselves and how they manifest in the conditioned world around us, we begin to understand the relationship between clinging and suffering. Or as Buddha often taught, said he taught, suffering and the end of suffering. So we begin by practicing to understand, you know, trying to get it, and then we practice with that understanding. So I'm going to look at each of these three characteristics. And I'll start with dukkha. So dukkha, a Pali word. Pali word dukkha has been translated into English as suffering. Sometimes this seems a little bit too strong or too harsh, so it's helpful to, I don't know, flesh out this word or kind of uh, use more English words to kind of capture the essence of what dukkha is. And so it's helpful to include in the definition such words as stressful, unsatisfactory, unreliable. And I, you know, as I was coming up with this talk, a word that came to mind is uh, wobbly. I thought that kind of captures a certain essence or aspect of dukkha. So it's you know, a wobbliness. It's a wobbliness. It's, uh, it's the difficulties in our lives. Uh, so the first characteristic of existence is that life is inherently dukkha, unsatisfactory. And this is pretty much the first of the Four Noble Truths. Now, this isn't something that we should be bummed out about. No more than we should be bummed out, bummed out about the fact of gravity. It's just information about the way things are, the way life is. Kind of like a weather report that allows us to dress properly for the conditions. Going to Alaska, 
They'll bring warm clothes to you. Uh, Florida, I don't know, Southern California, I don't know, bring a swimsuit and sunscreen. It allows us to have an understanding about how to relate to the reality of the situation. So, uh, again, Buddha said he taught two things, suffering and the end of suffering. And he laid it out. He started out with the four old truths. And the first one is there is suffering. There is dukkha. When he was asked, what is this suffering? What is dukkha? Uh, Buddha responded, birth is suffering. Aging is suffering. Sickness is suffering. Death is suffering. Association with the unpleasant is suffering. Separation from the pleasant is suffering. Not to receive what one wants. What one wants is suffering. In short, clinging to the five aggregates is suffering, which means that clinging to the sense of self or impermanent phenomena will lead to suffering, distress, and dukkha. And the key word there is uh, clinging. Dukkha is the way things are for sentient beings. We feel, we respond to our environment. Some things are pleasant, some we move towards them, some unpleasant, back. Some things are neither, it's can be. Uh, dukkha is a basic characteristic of existence. Even amoebas have a natural response, approach avoidance. It's a hardware, hardwired survival mechanism to go towards safety and away from danger. And there's a general negative bias in that regard. So uh, it's better to be safe than sorry. Better to assume danger, which in and of itself creates a certain ongoing stress. Besides the normal physical conditions of the world, you know, know, birth, aging, sickness, death, humans also have a rich imagination. And this imagination can add a lot of suffering to something which is just something. Um, We come up with notions of danger and notions of happiness and safety. We get stuck in traffic and it's not immediately being stopped in traffic. It has some sort of meaning to it. Oh, I'm going to be late and that means I'm going to be this and that and another thing. Stub my toe. Oh, I'm I'm going to, before long, we're thinking how we're going to lose our tool. We have a way to layer the direct experience with a narrative which causes a whole other layer of suffering. It's it's a second arrow. And all that layering is not helpful. It's uh, kind of delusional. Uh, So clinging to conditioned things causes suffering. Uh, because they change, and we'll get into the changingness next characteristic. We can get caught in a relentless pursuit of pleasant experiences while trying to avoid the unpleasant. And that's pretty much an impossible task that results in stress and ongoing sense of dissatisfaction and a narrowing of our comfort zone. It becomes more and more difficult to be happy, content, open. So practicing with dukkha, we first can recognize that the experience of stress and suffering is a basic condition of being human. 
we're not alone. It's a shared sense. We can have a shared sense of humanity. Uh, just like me, others want to be happy. Want, uh, other, just like me, others uh, have fears, wants, joys, and loss. Life's difficulties are not not something to be feared and avoided. With an understanding of this, this shared experience, compassion for ourselves and all beings can emerge. With mindfulness, we can recognize what conditions are present uh, when we are suffering and not and not suffering. We can see the differences. We can use mindfulness to recognize suffering is arising and this is the things that support that suffering. We can recognize the internal narrative that's supporting suffering or not supporting suffering. Using mindfulness, we can notice the direct experiences felt in the body. What is the narrative? Get on helpful narratives to let go of. Our Experience do get, our experiences that do get can be pretty solid and relentless sometimes, especially when it's difficult. Uh, and I find personally, it's yeah, when I get caught up into something that's a difficult emotion, to recognize the spaces. And I think there's always some space there. And then start drawing attention uh, to... Maybe even the, the small joys, the small pleasures, the small things that we can be grateful for in the midst of difficulty. And this kind of loosens the tightness that spirit experiences of dukkha uh, can, you know, uh, evolve to. Now, I don't want, I, you know, I want to be a little careful here. I'm not trying to imply that dealing with difficulties is easy. It's not, uh, but there are practices, there are things that we could help in this meditation practice, our mindfulness practice, self with patience and self-kindness, which can kind of loosen the grip of some of the most difficult sufferings that we might be moving through. The second uh, characteristic is anicca, impermanence. It's kind of an obvious one. We all know from our personal experience, you know, things change. Weather changes. We have memories of being a kid, being a young adult, growing up, going to college, having jobs. Relationships have come and gone. So we have a sense of change. So it's not new or surprising. However, when he talked about this, uh, thought that uh, it's recognizing impermanence, uh, is very important to see the patterns of impermanence. Uh, and there's two reasons. One is that we don't realize the degree that things are changing. And secondly, we often live with a fraught relationship with change. We struggle with change. We want change to happen on our own terms. We want change to happen when things are, are uncomfortable or annoying, but we don't want things to change when we, we got a pretty nice setup here. So Buddha taught about anicca, that suffering arises when we engage in this type of struggle. Impermanence is the nature of the conditioned world. 
things come into being due to a set of causes and conditions, and they cease when those causes and conditions no longer are present. It's natural. It's the way it is. In this and that, when not this and not that. Of course, it's normal that people want a certain degree of stability, perhaps with a bit of variety to keep things interesting. But we want to keep that variety on a pleasant side, so we seek out all the pleasant bits, bits and avoid and try to get rid of the unpleasant. Uh, about two years ago, Sim spent uh, about a month talking about the eight worldly winds of change, a uh, way of framing the types of change. And the pairs, they had the four pairs. There's pleasure, one hand, and pain. Gain and loss. Praise and blame. Status and disgrace. These pairs offer a real seductive promise of comfort on the one hand and then a threat of discomfort or suffering on the other. And our natural inclination is choose the pleasant aspects of the pairs and avoid the unpleasant. However, the nature of change, nature of the winds of change, they're not something we have control over or can choose between but rather their way of how things are, how things flow, how things change, not good or bad. Their comings and goings, arising and passing, like changing weather. So if we insist on things being a certain way, we'll add additional suffering to the natural process of change. Uh, in terms of practice, uh, personally, I like to kind of be mindful, helpfully mindful of change in our daily lives, the comings and goings, arising and passing. Notice this, our breath, rising and passing our breath, recognizing it's like this now. Things change, oh, it's like this now. I like recalling different stages in my own life, seeing pictures of the past, seeing pictures of the, of the present, my family, friends. Noticing, oh, Look at, look at age, look we are, our aging, this change. I like recalling uh, some of the big moments of uh, history. You know, oh, this president and this big deal and this big war. Oh, all caught up in it. It came and went. And nice noticing the comings and goings. So it gets to be a little bit, when we're in, caught up in the current conditions, we can realize this too will pass. The challenge is to have a certain stability in the midst of change, in the midst of this wobbliness, in the midst of this coming and goings. That's where mindfulness comes in practice, comes in handy. With mindfulness, we can practice stability in regard to impermanence, steadiness of mind in regard to changing conditions. Dancers do this as they, they, they spin almost, you know, they, they go around in order to keep from getting dizzy. They stop and they focus, create steadiness, turn, spin, create steadiness. So mindfulness provides a steadiness of mind, similar steadiness of mind that allows us to relate to ever-changing conditions with greater equanimity, regardless of whether things are pleasant or unpleasant. 
The third uh, characteristic is perhaps one of the most difficult to understand, not self or anatta. Uh, I can see suffering. I can see the other two. They make a certain sense to me. See impermanence. But understanding anatta is more challenging for me. You know, I'm here, you're out there, clearly obvious. I have memories and pictures of myself over the years. People respond when I call their name. I respond when someone calls mine. The body has changed. Uh, my basic, but my, 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 while my body has changed, my basic sense of self pretty much seems persistent. Yet I trust these teachings. I have a lot of confidence in them. They've been, uh, yeah, I have a lot of confidence in them. However, I'm not just going to take this on faith. I want to arrive at understanding through my own experience. Buddha asked, is there a self? He didn't answer. So somebody asked, somebody, the Buddha was asked, somebody asked, Buddha, is there a self? He didn't answer. Is there not a self? Still no answer. Person left frustrated. And a Buddhist disciple asked, why didn't you answer him? And a Buddha replied, either affirming or denying a sense of self would be misleading. And I think that's a key understanding. We like to land on something. And Buddha says, this is, this is not something we're landing on and naming. As I try to understand non-self, a number of things have been helpful. Uh, first of all, it, yeah, trying to figure it out doesn't work. Uh, I like Rodney Smith. He said that the thinning of the self is helpful, kind of loosening the grip of our identification. I like to think about how interconnected I am and interdependent I am. Uh, I had a medical procedure uh, done, and it was a, a hip replacement. And it was really interesting just to notice how interconnected I was. There was I really liked noticing all the people who were taking care of me, all these people caring about me, all these people with a singular focus. It was a supportive experience. And I think uh, the medical situation is kind of easy to see, but it can be seen in just about just about any aspect of life. You know, how can we drive with all the support, all the people involved in the support, that process? How can we have food on the table without everybody supporting us? Uh, I like also thinking about, I mentioned this before, Carl Sagan talks had this uh, thing about this pale blue dot referring to a picture that was taken by a Voyager mission that uh, turned the cameras, that Voyager mission was leaving the solar system, and it turned its cameras back on where the Earth was, took this picture, and the Earth appeared as just this pale blue dot. And, and Carl Sagan says, this is where all the history of human beings has taken place. Everything. Well, the dinosaurs have come and gone. This is everything. All the, the heroes, the villains, the on that little dot, that speck of dust, it continues on. That this is small, and this is like in the cosmos. Yeah, so tiny, even from the solar system. 
And he says, there is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we ever know. So, I'd like to say more, but I'm running out of time, so I'm going to just jump here a little bit. And I think this, all these will be gotten into as we uh, next, uh, over the course of the next month and several months. So, Dukkha, Anicca, Anatta, unsatisfactoriness, impermanence, not self. Universal qualities of existence permeate all aspects of our lives. They are characteristics of life, life we all share as humans, regardless of whether we realize it or not. Understanding of three characteristics is not a matter of belief or Buddhist dogma, but rather emerges from mindful observation and discernment of this mind-body process and how they operate in the world. Now, I'd like to end with something I've been reading, a book uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh called The Other Shore. And it talks about, he talks about emptiness and which is, you know, comparable uh, to non-self, another way of talking about it. So I just want to read a little bit from this. Uh, In our observation of the cosmos, from the smallest elementary particle to a blade of grass, a river, a ray of sunlight, or a distant galaxy, What is static or unchanging? Our body is not static. It is a river made of cells constantly flowing. And the cells in our body go through birth and death every moment. So there is no self. There is no permanent soul. There is nothing unchanging. But there is continuation. Goes on a little bit more. If you ever get this book, you you might want to check it out on page 44 or 45 or any other pages. He also talks about all phenomena are empty, and he talks about, uses a, 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 a anyway, yeah, interbeing, talks about interbeing. It's a way that, you know, it's like we're all just interconnected, interconnected, intimately connected, interliving. So all phenomena are empty, meaning not self. Not only the human body, but all phenomena are empty of permanent separate self. The insight of interbeing is that nothing can exist by itself alone, that each thing exists only in relation to everything else. The insight of impermanence is that nothing is static, nothing stays the same. Interbeing means emptiness of a separate self. However, impermanence also means emptiness of a separate self. Looking from the perspective of space, we call emptiness interbeing. Looking from the perspective of time, we call it impermanence. All phenomena bear the mark of emptiness. They all bear the characteristic of being inherently empty of a separate existence, both in time and space. Everything is empty of a separate self. There is a lot of joy in this realization. No, just 
sit quietly a second here. Allow that to settle in. So a lot of joy in that realization. So we're all connected. We're not alone. Together in this. This pale blue dot. May we live in peace. Thank you. So, uh, as usual, nice to have a bit of a small group discussion about some of these ideas. Uh, maybe share the ways that it makes sense, you have an experience. Maybe share the ways that I don't get it at all. Uh, but consider that. What, what, what about this I connect with? What's the challenge? How has it been helpful? I'll leave it to you. You know, to kind of discuss it in that regard. Uh, you know, we only have about 15 minutes. Uh, so, you know, use that time as it, it, it works for your group. You know, I'll break us into three uh, groups of three. Well, welcome back, everybody. Another impermanent experience in the breakout rooms. Come in going. Uh, hopefully not too much dukkha out there. And uh, welcome back to all you not-selves. And uh, Any comments? What was your experience like? Uh, feel free to jump in or raise your hand and I'll call on you. Yeah, Sean, Bruce. I I want to share another Carl Sagan quote. Uh, Bruce and I were in a retreat about a month or so ago. With oh, you froze up. Uh, they, well, okay, they, they they froze up earlier, so I think we'll go on, and I if I catch them. Uh, yeah, jump in again. So, other folks, uh, yeah, what uh, that not self? I mean, what's that all about? That's always a challenge. Suze. I really appreciate that you're, it's like an invitation to just explore these. And in our group, we're, that's, that was one of my takeaways is to just that. There's the cognitive understanding, but really exploring how selfing happens and when it's thin and thick and, and then all the other stuff we add onto the, 
what we think is the under, oh, now I get it. <laughs> and then it goes poof. Anyway, so thank you, Jerry, for in, in the invitation to keep exploring, because I think this is going to be a rich three months. So. Yeah, I, I, that's, that's really true, Suze. And yeah, actually, you know, Buddha's invitation, see for yourself. Ronald Reagan's invitation, trust but verify. Uh, <laughs> I can't uh, believe that's who you're quoting. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, was, he, was, he was right on there, at least if I, if I can borrow it. Uh, yeah, it's what I appreciate about this practice. I mean, it's not like we have this dogma to remember and then we got it as if we, as if we got it just because we're able to, you know, you know, connect it with our, our gray matter up there. So, and it, what's, it's kind of what makes this whole practice interesting, exciting and engaging that, oh, what's this? What's this? Is this true? No, anyway, yeah, I like that. So, uh, Lauren, got your hand up there. You have to unmute, though. First, I just wanted to say that I'm waiting with bated breath for Sean to be able to share what Carl Sagan said. So if you if you if we can't hear you next time, maybe you could write it because I'm going, oh, yeah, let's hear that. And the other thing is I missed what Ronald Reagan, I only got the last part, last part, or verify. What was the first word, Jerry? Trust. Trust, trust or, or, or verify. Trust, but verify. Oh, but verify. Okay. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay. I want to go on with that. Oh, I just wanted to say that it, it was so rich, our discussion, because we had so much to talk about. We started with not self and, um, I'm not going to say what other people said, but I, I, what I notice with not self is it, it's my perception that I have to explore because my perception just is so opposite of the truth. It, it's just always saying things are solid and you're over there and I'm here. And, um, so I, um, really try to work with, perceiving the formless in life and then that kind of carries over getting a sense of the formless and that carries over to thinning the self but the perception keeps getting in the way (laughs) the solidity of of my perceptions yeah it's something you work with you roll over you kind of you know it's not just okay and there you got it Sean and Bruce, tell us about pie. Okay, I put it in the chat. Carl Sagan, to make an apple pie, first you have to create a universe. <laughs> That's great. That's great. And a planet that is yeah. the proper distance from the sun <laughs> with the proper atmosphere so that you can have water. And soil. And a seed. And plant a tree. Yeah. And on and on and on. Yeah. Inner being. Inner being, yeah. Uh, yeah, inner being. I think that might be Thich Nhat Hanh's word. I'm not sure yeah. what else it is. I don't know if you read that book. I mean, that's this again. But yeah. there, there again, he holds up a sheet of paper and he says... The whole universe is in this paper. 
yeah, the water, the trees, the people that made it, and on and on and on and on. And and likewise, us. You know, we all contain all that interbeing. It's a really nice concept. I really like that. Helpful. It makes not self a lot less complicated. Yeah, and and a bit liberating too. You know, just not as lonely. Yeah. You know? That is only be a self, you know, I'm, you know, me and everybody else. Yeah. Let's see, other hands up or comments? Yeah, Steve. I, I just want to say that I, it's really fun to have these small groups and I really liked our group and just having these huge concepts and to break into little groups and, and, throw out ideas or things that you're trying to articulate them and just figure out how to do it is really fun to do. So the process is really awesome. (laughs) Yeah. 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 That's it. Fun. It really is. Now back, back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the year. It's like uh, Sangha. Yeah. This good stuff. Uh, Well, I didn't allow enough time for all this, but I think now we we're kind of at the end of it. And so I think I'll, kind of uh, wrap it up here.